Hello and welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. You notice I always have to take a pause there, Mike, because I still don't have this down. <laughs> 50 Hi, episodes later. Yep. Hi, Lily. Well, do you want to introduce our guest? I would love to introduce our guest because our guest today is someone whom I have known for a very long time. In fact, both she and I would probably not like to admit how long we have known each other for. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> because it gives away our age. But she is one of the most uh, gentle, kind, mm -hmm. uh, smart, and tough people that I have ever had the pleasure of, of dealing with. And she has done a great deal since uh, escaping from the sea organization uh, to bring the abuses of Scientology to light. So mm -hmm. welcome Hannah Whitfield, uh, my long dear friend. Wow. Thank you so much, Mike. And it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for the privilege. And thank you, Leah. Always a pleasure. Thank you for gracing us. Um, I, I adore you and I applaud you, like Mike said, for the work that you continue to do. And I, and I have to say, I wanted, I, Mike, when you were talking about how long you've known each other, yeah, you know, it does say a lot about um, uh, your relationships with people that, you know, yeah. even though you yeah. went through a traumatic, because we're not all friends. I mean, let's face it. Right. Like there's right. a lot of people who leave Scientology, leave the Sea Org, that we don't know or we know and keep a safe distance. Um, and uh, there are people, like you said, like Hannah, uh, and we call we call this group our OGs because there's a core group, right, <laughs> right. that have, yeah. that have uh, remained close uh, since leaving a very traumatic and, and horrible time of your lives and, 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 and who are doing the work. Yeah. Right. Right. And so yes. I just, I think it's a, a beautiful thing, Mike, uh, for as horrible as you were, uh, that people <laughs> call you a friend. I, I say that jokingly, but, um, you know, because yeah. some people have left Scientology and the Sea Org and think you knew everything that was going on, including me. Right. You know, I remember when I left uh, Scientology, that's the first thing I asked you was like, did you know about what was happening to me? And I didn't believe you at first. <laughs> you know, you were like, I was in the hole, Leah. Okay. I was, right? Like I was being I, punished. I didn't I know everything. Yeah. I remember those days personally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, I just think it's wonderful that you, you're, you're still friends and it says a lot about uh, the two of you. Uh, that you continue to do this work when you don't actually have to. All right. Well, you welcome, too, Hannah. You too. You welcome. don't have to either. Thank you. Thank um, you. I, I just want to say one other thing about Hannah. The reason yeah. that we have her on today's episode is because we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the C organization. Okay. And I'll explain why, but... One of the reasons that it's so wonderful to have Hannah here is she is one of the original Sea Org members. So definitely like, an OG. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> not, I, I don't mean just a, an early adopter. I yeah. mean yeah. one of the originals from did you, what, 1967, Hannah? 1967. That's correct. Yep. August, Unbelievable. August 1967, when it was still the Sea Project, Mike, it wasn't the Sea Org yet. 
And people right. still have a confusion about what the Sea Org is. So maybe, Hannah, you can explain what the Sea Org was. Like you're saying, it was originally the, uh, called the Sea Project. And then maybe discuss what the Sea Org turned into and what it is still today. Sure, sure, I can do that. Um, it all started, I think, probably way back in the U.S. when Hubbard was trying to find a, a base for Scientology to operate and flourish from. He didn't find it in the U.S. The U.S. government turned against him and the FDA and various other institutions, such as the psychiatrists. And yes. so he moved to England, to St. Hill, and thought he'd found a base there. But the English tide started to turn against him as well. You mainly... You, Hannah, I'm sorry. When you say turn against... You said the U.S. turned against him, and 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 so did they. But, uh, uh, right. Uh, but when you say turn against, you mean just that were exposing... They, they were finding out the truth about right, right. the fraud well, that Scientology and Dianetics was. Exactly. Yeah. And what happened, what happened in the U.S. was Hubbard introduced the PTS SP policies in 1965, and introduced his Fair Roads Good Weather Handlings, where Scientologists had to just parrot certain words to their parents at home. Mom and Dad, I'm doing fine. Everything's okay. Life is great. Hope you're fine. Love, Jimmy. So they're not, they weren't allowed to tell their friends and family what was really going on. And when you right. refer to the PTSSP policies... Uh, you're talking about a course that now is a mandatory uh, reading and, and a course in Scientology. But what, yes. what Hannah's referring to here is, uh, Mike, we shouldn't probably go into a deep dive about what PTS, but it does set up, it basically is a set of teachings that are mandatory that everybody in Scientology learns that basically sets up the, the, the concept of us versus them. And anybody uh who's against Scientology and Dianetics is evil, is working for the Sykes, has crimes that they're hiding. And so they must be uh, kept at bay, like you're saying, by saying right. things like, everything's great, the weather's fine, the roads are fair, whatever the fuck they're saying. Exactly. Is. And, uh, but secretly it says, destroy these people, disconnect exactly. from these people. Okay, go ahead. Exactly. Okay. That set up the schism between Scientologists and their parents. That was the original thing. Parents began to object. They started to report to their MPs and other government bodies. And that's the tide that I refer to that started to turn against Hubbard. So then in 1966, Hubbard, he knew all this was going on. He knew it. He decided to pay a visit to Rhodesia, to southern Rhodesia, because he had an affinity for that country. He believed he had lived the life of Cecil John Rhodes, the man who discovered and opened up Southern Rhodesia way back. I think it was in the 40s or 50s or something like that. And he went back to Rhodesia, paid a visit, thinking he could make a foothold in that country. The Prime Minister, Ian Smith, had just declared unilaterally a split from the British government. He was on his own. And Hubbard thought he could enamor Ian Smith and the Blacks. He even wrote up a preliminary sort of constitution for the country, which actually favored the Blacks in the lower house and gave them an equal vote with whites. But in the upper house, guess what? 
it was apartheid all over again. It favored the whites. But anyway, Hubbard introduced this and thought that he had it all hunky-dory. He bought a beautiful hotel on Lake Kariba. He bought a four-bedroom house in a very upscale suburb of Johannesburg. And so at this time, was, Alan Hubbard... He was uh, digging in. Yeah, he was... No, but what in. I'm saying is he was already making... He was making... Right. He, was, he already jumped to the conclusion this right, was right. going to be his base. No, meaning he was already rich. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. He had already well, he'd made bought Saint Hill. <laughs> I right. Mean, right. Saint Hill was yes. a, a a massive estate in the English countryside he, with a manor house on it, and yes. he bought it for cash. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> so the man was already loaded, and he began making inroads with business people. But the South African government contacted the CIA, and they said, "Beware of Hubbard. He's a kook. He's mentally unstable." And at that point, the Ian Smith government did not renew Hubbard's visa. Mm -hmm. At the end of six months, he had to leave. And so he came back to England. Another of his goals, gone. Mm -hmm. Of course, he started to blame the government and the Sykes. And that's when he got the idea that he had to get a band of people around him. One OT, he said, couldn't make it on his own. He had to gather a bunch of OTs around him and go somewhere where he couldn't be interfered with, into international waters. Because once one is in international waters on board a ship, no country can interfere with you. Mm -hmm. And he conceived of the idea of the sea project, buying his own ships, going out, Mm -hmm. away from land and that's where the sea project was born and then ultimately the sea organization okay. to make a long story short <laughs> no great that's great so then you joined the sea org uh at sea, what age sea project the, sorry the I, sea project yeah i was how old was i at the time i was 26 when i joined and so, you, so you left the life that you've known and then you get you aboard you board the ship well, well what, what, it was I was already in Scientology for a sure. few years later. Yeah. I did yeah, the yeah. briefing course and I had done the class seven course and the internship and the org executive course. And so I was a seasoned Scientologist when I joined. And and to, to our listeners, these are just things that are just uh, classify her as highly yeah. trained Scientologist and right. Uh, right. dedicated. So, so you, so you board the ship. <laughs> At about 6 a.m. on a cold, dismal Las Palmas, Canary Islands morning, mm -hmm. the taxi driver drove myself from the agent's office with Connie Broadbent and James Fuller through the crazy Las Palmas streets, checking for where the Avon River was could be found. And the streets got smaller and smaller, and the signs got less and less. Finally, we found the place. They opened up the door. There was this beach. The sun wasn't up yet. It was still dark. There was this beach, and there was this rusted hulk sitting on these wooden blocks on some what looked like rails. And I thought, this can't be the Avon River. I'm sorry. This cannot be Hubbard's dream. Well, the three of us walked down the beach carrying our luggage, and sure enough, on the bow we saw, I mean, you couldn't see the name clearly, but it said Avon River. Ship had been sandblasted. It was all rusted from the dew that, that settled at night. 
and we clambered on board up this long wobbly ladder and there was nothing but sand on the well deck on the front deck mounds of sand and I shouted down to Connie and James I said there's nothing but sand up here and at that moment a lump in the sand stirred and a head popped up <laughs> and it was it was Jill van Staden an old friend of mine from Johannesburg when I first got into the sea and she said hi Anna you've arrived are the others with you and I said oh yes they're down below she said come aboard come aboard the others will be waking up soon and as she spoke other lumps in the sand stirred and other heads appeared they were sleeping in the sand they were sleeping they did the ship didn't have bunk beds yet <clears throat> the ship was being refitted it was a wreck Leah yeah. absolute wreck and so they wrapped themselves in blankets and slept in the sand, hollowed out a little hollow yeah. and slept in the sand. So we clambered on board and they all started to wake up and we gathered in the galley, which wasn't a galley yet. It, it was just one little hot plate on which Virginia made meals, but we made coffee and we started to talk. And within the hour, Virginia had us dressed in old boiler suits you know, ripped up yeah. old boiler suits to work. And we were put to work. Right. And from that point on, we were swampers. Yeah, we were, We had to unload the um, all the ballast. Hubbard wanted all the ballast in the Avon River unloaded onto the dock. So there was Amos Jessup and myself and Connie and Toxon de Garde and, oh, just so many other old names. They'll take me a while to remember them. Oh, that's okay. And we were lugging this incredibly heavy stuff out of the hold and onto the dock. That was our job. Right. And for this, you were being paid what? Oh, at that point, I don't, I think it was a few dollars a week, maybe three, four dollars a week. Because the, the, uh, the theory of the Sea Org is you dedicate your life, you sign a billion year contract, you live and work communally and, you know, you're supposed to be getting accommodations, you get... right. You right, know, room, you know, room, room and board, and but your payoff is that you're helping to make the planet. You're saving the planet. Absolutely, with Scientology. Yeah, yeah. With having... Mike, yes, of course. Something I did want to say though yeah. is the reason why the Sea Org is so important to talk mm -hmm. about and to sort of dig around a bit into the history of it because it's so interesting mm -hmm. is that the Sea Org controls Scientology. The Absolutely. top I, yeah. echelons of Scientology, you must be a Sea Org member to be in Church of Scientology International or Religious Technology Center or deliver any of the upper levels of Scientology auditing and training. All of those things are in the hands of Sea Organization members. Correct. And the Sea Org sits as a, a like an umbrella over Scientology. Correct. And there are all of these nifty corporate structures and things that are designed to uh, prevent litigants from ever being able to recover, uh, you know, damages from corporations and to pretend that they they are operating in a fashion that is in accordance with the law of laws of the country. And all of that is window dressing. Absolutely. That because, is correct. <laughs> because the actual control of Scientology vests in the C organization. That's and cleverly, 
the sea organization itself when scientology is confronted about this that actually the sea organization is controlling it they walk into court and say oh no 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 the sea organization is just a fraternal religious order and there it has no bank accounts it has no offices it has no location it has no address it has no members i mean all of this stuff is presented to obfuscate or or cover up the real control that occurs in Scientology. Correct. And Mm -hmm. this is something that's very important because this is something that uh, many courts fail to understand or recognize, and so they get hoodwinked by Scientology when being when Scientology comes in and, and presents all their fluff. That's so correct. I just wanted to say that uh, right at the outset as to why this is so important and why there should be such interest in what the Sea Organization is. Because at this point, David Miscavige is the captain of the Sea Organization. Captain David Miscavige is the boss dog of the sea organization and as such he is able to dictate and control any and every person in scientology and the activities of any and all corporations in scientology and because of that he flips out when referred to in the courtroom as captain miscavige when Are ray you kidding jeffrey, me? when ray jeffrey kept referring that to is, him in, in the courtroom as Captain Miscavige. Wow. Miscavige's <laughs> lawyers stood up and objected, saying what? that this was derogatory and derisive. <laughs> what are because- you talking about? He just accepted an award as Captain David Miscavige in his white uniform with his fake insignia, looking <laughs> like went- the head of our, our, our military, our, 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 our Navy. What are you talking yes. about? Well, those are the the legal lies that Scientology holds dear, which Mike is talking about, and they will keep on presenting those lies. But that's all they are. They, the the, the truth has is completely different. But Hannah, he calls himself that. I know. Well, he stopped, Leah, you will notice that since Ray Jeffrey did that in the Rathbun case in Texas, you will not find pictures of David Miscavige in his four-stripe naval jacket or being called Captain Miscavige. He is now called and only referred to as the ecclesiastical leader of the Scientology religion. Wait, he has he... Right, right, right. Has he dropped COB, chairman of the board? No, 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 no. But he's not... Do you realize that he's also not the chairman of any board? Yeah. He isn't re- on the board of I realize RTC. that David Miscavige is <laughs> yes. not shit. I mean, I don't, yeah, he, he ain't shit, but... He, he calls he, himself the chairman yeah. of the board, but yeah. he's not. Gotcha. So that when somebody tries to serve the board of RTC and say, we have made legal service yeah. on David Miscavige, he's like, oh, no, I'm not. I, I just call myself COB. I'm not really on the board. Unbelievable. And now, just, if I could just say, just like as a regular person, hearing that Scientology, like I've never, I never knew this, Mike. I never knew that they actually <laughs> didn't acknowledge the C organization 
as the organization that runs and administers Scientology to all of us. I mean, right. yeah. I, if I go into the the Celebrity Center in Hollywood, I'm I'm greeted by a Sea Org member who's a security guard. I go into the building that's run by Sea Org maintenance people. I run into gardeners that are Sea Org gardeners. I like the the housekeepers that run that that clean the hotel. The Scientology are all Sea Org members. The receptionist is a Sea Org member. Everybody who's walking around in a uniform is a Sea Org member. The person who does my quote-unquote counseling is a Sea Org member. The person who supervises me on a course in Scientology is a Sea Org member. Like, it is absolutely fucking insane that Scientology actually runs around saying the Sea Org is really not an important component or the only component running Scientology. There are no parishioner Scientologists running Scientology, administering Scientology. We don't own the rights to to any Scientology material. This is all run by the Sea Organization and owned by David Miscavige's personal organization called the Religious Technology Center. Well, let me just add to that, Leah, on the insanity side of this. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not going to go into the long story yeah. of how this came about, but the, but when the Church of Spiritual Technology, that is the organization that takes Hubbard's words and etches them into stainless steel plates, plates. in argon-filled right. titanium containers Behind in nuclear bomb-proof right. vaults, blah, 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 blah. Right. sought to get tax exemption from the IRS, they were denied and sued the IRS. The judge in that case made a very clear statement that, A, they weren't really performing a, a public benefit religious function, and B, that the actual control of the organization in Scientology was through the C organization, and that it was a trick a deceptus visus, the Latin word for trickery. <laughs> Grand um, that that the that CST really had any control over anything. And mm. that decision has never been overturned or changed or whatever. And still Scientology walks in and says, Oh, no, not not us, nope, not the Sea Org. Right. Okay, just I'll put that on the the Please website do, because maybe somewhere somebody right will will see it and use it and you know Please, yeah. please, yeah. somebody yeah. use it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But but Hannah was telling the fascinating tale of arriving in the early Sea Org. I just want to put uh, yeah. one thing there before that, which yeah. is that like everything else. Hubbard had an explanation and a story that went along with everything that he did. Like uh, a sort of a, a slant or whatever. Sometimes it's a sure story. Sometimes it's just bullshit. Sometimes it's a cover up what's really happening. He announced to the Scientology world and, and, and also to the public that he was returning to his profession as an explorer. From another lifetime. Oh, right, right. No, not not even from another lifetime. From earlier when he had claimed that he had done these explorations and got a 
flag from the Explorers Club. But he and, had you it, know, right? Well, he got a flag from the Explorers Club, but what he claimed to have done, a mineralogical survey of the Caribbean was bullshit. Absolutely. A survey of the inner passage of Alaska on his yacht, The Magician, was bullshit. He actually broke down and ended up stranded <laughs> stranded in Ketchikan for like months, unable to go anywhere. But right. he, he turned right. all these things into I've done I've done a radiological survey of this, I've done that, and it's all bullshit. But he bullshitted again and said, right. I'm going off to explore earlier civilizations in the Mediterranean. Exactly. That was part of it, Mike. Absolutely correct. And he had this dream. Um, I don't know how long he must have had that dream, but he wanted in Rhodesia, he also wanted to dig up what he believed had been buried by Cecil John Rhodes' gold and treasure. And he believed that in his life times as Phoenician explorer and seagoing seafarer prince in the Mediterranean. He had buried gold and treasures around the Mediterranean and he wanted to dig those up and put them into his little bank and then go on his way to, you know, take over a country or something. Did you even know that he wanted to buy an island at one point? I found a file as when I was his Commodore staff aide one four for operations. I found a folder that had various islands off of the Portuguese and Spanish coastline that he was looking at buying and he wanted built islands with harbors and gas tanks uh, and water tanks and buildings and so on. That fell aside, but he was even looking at buying his own island. Well, he kind of created that in Clearwater. In a way, yes. Yeah. Um, but no, in so wait, but at the time, Hannah, you believed all of this, right? I mean, like oh, the, like oh, the digging I, for gold. Did you, did you guys ever, did he ever do that? Did he ever find the no, gold that he had? We, people have reported on the internet that he found that there was found, gold was found in the hold. No, Leah, nothing okay. was ever found. But, but you were have, looking for it? Did you guys oh, actually? Yes. We did have um, those depth, um, uh, what do you call them? The, the metal detectors? Metal detectors. Yeah, metal detectors. Thank you. You run them along the ground and they beep mm. and, and squawk and stuff like that. And mm. we found several sites that had those squawking sounds and we were able to map where the metal was down below a certain area of metal in some places. It was huge. And? It was in some places it was like feet lengthwise by feet widthwise. Yeah, but did you ever find any? No, no. None was ever dug up. Because in all the sites that we found where there was metal, they existed in areas where the government had proclaimed protected territory. They oh, I see. So, so, so uh, Hubbard could turn around and say, well, you know, I can't get my gold, clearly. Right? Right. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Right. Except yeah. in Italy. He, mm. he believed that in the, in the eastern, southeastern coast of Italy, he had buried treasure uh, uh, around little icons set in the roads along the coastline, icons of the Virgin Mary and various priests and things like that. But we got up there, there was no protected territory, no guards, nothing, but those icons were all smashed and damaged. Again, we found no treasure. 
And you and you yep. just kind of uh, explained that away to the suppressive people and the psychiatrist, or All, how did you? Always, yes, okay. always. Okay. Every time there was a who, yeah. always there was somebody guilty. And right. I found in doing, I did my own deep dive on this in preparing for this meeting, guys. Yeah. yeah. I found something interesting out about Hubbard. Oh. I discovered an, an article that Stephen Kent, Dr. Stephen Kent, had written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the professor sociologist at Edmonton University. Yes, we know him very well. We him. Right. And we he, love him. Yes. He's wonderful. Yes, He's he wonderful. Is. Yes. He did a study of Hubbard. He stated clearly Hubbard was a megalomanic. Oh, yes. Narcissist. Yes. He said this on he, our show. Mike, we had him on, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that, that, clarified Hubbard for me. He was willing to hurt his enemies, willing to destroy those he perceived as enemies because that bolstered his own grandiosity and his self-esteem. So always there was a who, always. Yes. And we believed it. We, I mean, I was hook, line and sinker in, as as was Mike. Yes. As were you to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. Let's, you want to go into the section, Mike, forming of the Sea Org? Well, we're, we're, well, yeah, we're talking about can, that, but, but let back? me just say, yes, you can go back, yeah, Anna, go yeah, ahead. Can I back up just a little bit? Sure. When we were doing yes. the refit of the Avon River, yes, I took a look at all the work orders that Hubbard issued, June, July, August, September, October, it was a five-month refit, five-month to refit a little North Sea trawler, fishing trawler. And it was a huge stack of, I don't know if you can see these, it was a huge stack of paperwork that he had. As soon as something was finished, it was unfinished. As fast as as equipment was being repaired, it was being disrepaired. And he had me appointed at Master at Arms at one point. He asked, he told me, ordered me to keep check of every tool the Spaniards bring aboard and then check them off the ship at the end of the day to make sure they weren't taking ship's equipment with them. And I had to check that every piece of the ship's equipment that was logged out at the beginning of a day came back in at the end of the day. It was insane. And at the same time, I had to check that all the work was being done accurately. I was nuts. And I love that you're finding this nuts. Like, hey, check to see if nobody's stealing shit from us. But, (laughs) hey, I think I've buried gold in another lifetime. You're like, I'm bored with this. I'm on board with that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And all all the organizational systems he put into effect on these flag orders to keep control of what piece of equipment was fixed (laughs) and which wasn't. None right. of them worked. Yet right. here's this great planetary organizer. Yes. You know, yes, he's yes. going to solve everything and he can't get his own ship fixed. Right, right. But, uh, anyway, I yes. have to share that with you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let let but but, but let's, Mike, let's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk yeah. I want to talk, Hannah. You were in Las Palmas and Yes. I was Las Palmas was where Mr. Hubbard had gone and where he made his famous recording of RJ67. 
Yes, he did. Where he announced that he had broken through the wall of fire and OT3. Yes. And I know that Virginia Downsborough was with you on the Avon River and that you were friends with her. Yes. And I know that Virginia Downsborough, it has been reported because I never spoken to her, uh, that she had gone to where Hubbard was in his villa on the cliffs overlooking the sea, the bride, I see. Beautiful ah. villa. Beautiful oh. villa, Mike. And, and, that, and that he was taking a lot of drugs. Do you, did you ever speak to Virginia about what was going on while you were down there slaving away in the sandstorm, what was going on in the villa up the hill? Oh, yes. Um, Virginia, um, because of my RN background, my registered nurse background, Virginia came to me with a few things about Hubbard's care. And at one point she mentioned just that, that she had found all these, when she joined Hubbard, when he was not doing well in Las Palmas, before I, this is before I joined, she found all these drugs in his villa. And they were, she said, everything and anything from normal vitamins to prescription medications to uppers to downers to amphetamines to what Hubbard called pinks and grays. She said she was shocked by what she found. Now, for and, most people, they're just like, oh, yeah, you were shocked that you found drugs. But understand that L. Ron Hubbard is, is basing Dianetics and Scientology on being anti-drugs, anti-psychotropic drugs, like anti-medical drugs, like, and, 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 and selling and, being, and getting rich on the theory that L. Ron Hubbard has found the answers to all of man's ills, like, you know, uh, psychosomatic ills, uh, and also uh, medical, like, medical, you could solve it through Dianetics and Scientology. So to find something like that is pretty devastating to to somebody who's buying and giving up. Like you're saying, you were a registered nurse, you gave up being a registered nurse to join L. Ron Hubbard in this mission to save mankind. And uh, here, here he is, the man, he's, he's basing the upper <laughs> levels of Scientology. And the guy is fucking drugged out of his fucking Rock. mind. Absolutely. And people today, like you would think, oh, well, shit changed since, you know, he, he cleaned his shit up. No, this is what is, this is what people are giving up their lives for, their children for, living good lives, giving up their 401ks, giving up uh, careers, because, uh, based on something where a man was high as fuck and, 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 and coming up with this quote-unquote technology to solve all of mankind and to save them and to, this is their eternity at stake and you're going to leave this lifetime and go into your next lifetime with full perceptions, full memories. You'll be able to reunite with your kid. You know, like, it's, an, it's just, a, that, that's why it's so upsetting it, to people. But it, not it, enough to leave. Not enough to leave. <laughs> not, it <laughs> yeah. was, well, well, when Virginia mentioned this, I was shocked. She yeah. had been shocked when she found it. But and she know, would never always, confront L. Ron Hubbard, right? She would never confront. No, no. Well, she did. She yeah. removed everything out of the way and said to him, this is not the way to get better. You need good food. You need sleep. You need to start having walks. We're going to go for walks You mean walks she was applying day. Scientology to the yeah. founder? Scientology <laughs> basics. And she got him well again. Okay. Leo. 
So, the, the so you're suggesting that Scientology works? <laughs> <laughs> Just the basics, good, healthy basics. Exactly. Not, right, right. Yeah, That's Scientology. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely and right. she actually said that she explained some of that stuff that Hubbard got into a severe depression in doing the research for OT3. He got severely depressed, and that's why he was taking all that medication. Well, I swallowed that story at the time. Sure. <laughs> but later on, yes. I realized that's how he did his research and included in all the drugs he was taking. He was drinking rum. Rum was his favorite booze. Unreal. And on the ship, he would drink four-fifths of a tall glass of rum and a fifth of Coke. And that would be his nightly drink. You, know you know how many times I was punished for drinking a beer <laughs> in, in, in my Scientology career? Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane, right? The it's hypocrisy just, is yeah, it's, astonishing. It's insane. It's insane. But anyway, uh, yeah. wait, I, I, and I also want to ask you, Hannah, because I think people might be interested. Yeah. And, and I think we talked about this briefly, Mike, but because Hannah worked with L. Ron Hubbard day in and day out, I think people always <laughs> want to know what what was he like? Like, just as a person, what was he like? Well, when he was in a good mood, he was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> he was amiable. He was fluent in conversing. He had no hang-ups in what he spoke about and so on. And he jumped from subject to subject. Well, of course he was making up stories. Was, you know, I'd be a lovely person if everybody sat around my fucking kitchen table listening to, you know, fairy tales. And they were like, what? Leah's amazing. What? Tell us more, Leah. And then when I was on Galaxy 262 uh, slash B7, uh, and people are just like, tell us more, Leah. We want to join. You know, like, I'd be in a good fucking mood, too. But instead, what I get is, you look fat. Why are you not doing movies? Why don't we have... <laughs> Why this, Mom? Why that, Leah? Why not that, Leah? Well, let me tell you, in the evenings during yeah. that refit on the Avon River, he would yeah. come on board. Yeah. He would have his... Virginia would serve him his evening meal. And then we'd all gather on the forward well deck in the dark. There would be the ship's lights would be on. But I mean, that was all. And he would sit on a chair would be brought out for him. And his steward, usually Yvonne Gillum, sometimes it was Peggy Bankston if he, if he wasn't there, would bring him his big glass of rum and coke. And the rest of us crew would be gathered, gathered around sitting on the deck. And he would go off into these fantasies you know, about the Sykes up there who were watching planet Earth. And look up there. See that little dot traveling across up there? That's, that's the PDHs. That's and no, the and, nobody, and nobody, said that, nobody said that's a plane. That's not a... It, wasn't, <laughs> it was Sputnik. I was convinced it was <laughs> yeah, Sputnik. Yeah. But, but I didn't dare mention it. Right, right. I right, didn't right. want to be shot down in flames. Right, but right. I didn't believe it was PDHs. But you still believed in, in, in the mission. I still right? believed in the yeah. mission. Yeah. I forgave him his idiosyncrasies, Leah. Sure, sure. I mean, sure. I wasn't perfect. How could yeah. I expect him to be perfect? Right. He right. was just a human being like me, like everybody else, you know? So 
that well, was, that, you're a beautiful person, but that, you know, yes, <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> yes, no, but I understand we all, we all, you know, even well, when we would read something, you know, oh, not I, for, for me, not even, you know, just, just as seven years ago, I was reading God, I things going, this is crazy. But then at I the know. same time, I'm still staying, you know, I, know. I have but, my rude awakening belief. Oh my God. So what was everyday life in the Sea Org? I mean, what were you guys doing? Just heavy manual labor and then just kind of sitting there listening to... A, well, it, you know, well, in the early days in Las Palmas, it was physical work. We were yeah. working on the ship, fixing up the ship. I have to tell you a quick incident about a white glove inspection. Before the ship could be painted, uh-huh. the ship had to be cleaned up, all the sand had to be gotten rid of, and all the dust, right. everything, so sure. that the paint would stick, yeah. right? And so Hubbard set white glove inspection day. He came on board dressed in all his finery, wearing white gloves. Mm-hmm. And then he went from position to position, from place to place to place, wiped his finger on something and said, either pass or flunk. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to clean the forecastle up front. You may remember, Mike, in the bow. And it was filthy. It was filled with old oil-stained ropes and chains and paint buckets and all sorts. There was no way that could be cleaned. He walked into the forecastle, took out, took his pure white gloved finger, ran it down an oily chain, mm-hmm. <laughs> looked at it, said, flunk. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Walked out, you know. It was a parody. Well, well I'm, on Ron's, I'm was... on Ron's side on this one. I'm on oh. side. <laughs> Hang on. I've got another one. There mm. was a toilet midships that was one of the cleaning stations, and it was Wally Burgess's and mine. And we cleaned it up, except for, guess what, the sand in the toilet bowl. It was spotless, except for sand in the toilet bowl. And I said to Wally, but he's going to come in here. The old man's going to come in here, see the sand. He's not going to pass this. He says, no, no, watch this, Hannah. Hubbard came in, put his finger down the toilet seat. It came away clean. He said, pass. Totally ignoring the sand in the bowl. You guys got away with some Why? shit. Because the plumbers hadn't had time. They were the next on the schedule to clean the sand out of the toilet. So it did not count. Gotcha. <laughs> the whole thing was a parody. Oh, yeah, of course. The whole thing. Absolutely. Yes, of course. Of course. Okay, now let's get back to RJ67 for a minute, Mike. Right. Yeah. So, so he's on drugs. He's drunk. He's he's totally fucked up. And he comes up with this RJ67, which is a lecture. Yes. Again, still, still, still in circulation in Scientology. Still mandatory to listen to. RJ stands for Ron's Journal. Yeah. And Hubbard had a, a habit of doing these things that he, where he recorded a briefing to Scientologists in mm-hmm. general, which mm-hmm. he would call a Ron's journal. Mm-hmm. And these were, were greatly uh, anticipated and loved by Scientologists because he would speak in a very uh, sort of avuncular fashion, all friendly, hello, my friends around the world. This is Ron here bringing you the update on how wonderfully we're doing and blah, 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 blah. And he did these periodically throughout his life. Mm-hmm. But this one was something pretty extraordinary because, as I mentioned, he recorded it when he was in Las Palmas. And 
it sounds quite different from the other recordings that he did of Ron's journals. It's all very, it's, it's grave and dark and foreboding. And he's like talking in this super slow voice. So I'm sitting on a, I'm sitting on a board with the wind. He was probably on downers or something or something at the time. Yeah. But the reason he gives, but, but, but I think the point that Mike's making is the reason he gives for sounding this way. Go ahead, Mike. Right. Is because he's just emerged through this great, catastrophe that happened on planet earth 75 million years ago and that he has emerged out the other side only just he only just survived this experience to now blaze a pathway for all other people on earth to follow safely safely because he bared the brunt to his body almost broke his back Yes. Yeah. Exactly. He almost he almost croaked mm-hmm. in the in the effort, mm-hmm. and he then goes on to talk about the the twelve men who control planet Earth, the evil, you know, media psychiatric conglomerate of evil men who are seeking to right. to kill off mankind, and that he knows who they are, and that he's going to put it. You know, he's basically going to take care of business here and everything will be okay. But yeah. it's really, really important that you do right now, whatever you have to do to make your way up to these OT levels, meaning yes. get in and pay your money quick right. because there's not that much time. And I've now discovered this astonishing thing. And this announcement to the world was like, it was like a a huge deal. This was the 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 announcement of the ages. There was never there nothing ever came close to right. the importance and significance right. of this 1967 runs journal. Yeah. And as you say, Lee, it's still like gospel yeah. in Scientology. Yeah. It is it is a a much revered uh, item of of Hubbard wisdom and genius that was presented to the world, and you know, it's crazy. And he was crazy, and this was the the exact moment in time of the formation of this sea organization. Which, when you just step back, you go, this whole thing is crazy. Oh, yeah. Because the C organization, as you mentioned, C organization members sign a billion-year contract. Yes. Yes. Like, they commit themselves to achieving the aims of Scientology for eternity. That's correct. And they commit themselves to participating in this organization which is a uh, effectively a slave labor organization right right <laughs> i mean the sea org is slave labor yeah it just right. is yeah okay. you step we're back chained, and you go we're chained this. by that contract mike you are chained by that contract and, and you work 20 
hours a day or 18 hours a day or whatever, and you get and, paid nothing and, and you have you, no rights, you have no personal it, space, you have no freedoms, right. you can't read the newspaper, you don't have phones, you're not This but, is. It's this not is. Like if you don't do it, you're going to lose your eternity. Yes. And that's the thing, you know? Exactly. So you, you, you can't afford to do that because you're emotionally tied to Hubbard and, you're, and, and you believe, you still believe, you're still rationalizing, you're still justifying. And it's just, it is a, I tell you, man, it is the con of the con. Oh, yeah. Hannah, what, 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 uh, what, what abuses do, do you, I mean, and, and I say this because I find that a lot of Sea Org members um, and even Scientologists don't realize the abuse that they experience. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. Scientology is, in itself yeah. is is abusive. It teaches you how to accept abuse and TRs, and you know yeah. the, the the training routines. It's it basically is teaching children don't react to things you need to react uh, to. Absolutely. Um, and you can be, and this is how to be abusive. It teaches yes. you from a very early age to be abusive. But being on the ship, I'm sure you've witnessed. Oh, Leah, I witnessed so and so experienced many. it. Yeah. I witnessed so many, I experienced mm -hmm. so many things that I turned around and tried to explain, tried to justify. In no November of 67, before we went to pick up the Royal Scotsman in England, um, Terry Dickinson was a third engineer on board the Avon River. Hubbard had tasked him to get very high frequency sharps ship to shore radio on board and Terry failed in a certain length of time he failed and one day I was already the master at arms the ethics officer I got this written order from Hubbard Linda Hicks ran it up to me uh, Terry Dickinson is to have no sleep until he has this sharps radio installed on the bridge of the Avon River if he fails, if he sleeps before he gets this done, he will forever not sleep below deck, not eat with the crew, and not talk to the crew. Hannah Eltringham is to see that this is done. I read this thing and I just about freaked out inside. I didn't show anything. And I said, okay, is he testing me? Is he testing Terry? Is he testing someone else? I couldn't make, figure it out. I took the thing to Terry and I said, Terry, I know this is appalling isn't the right word. I will help you get through it. I'll do it with you. Let's do it. Terry says, no, 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 no. I can't do this, Hannah. I can't do this. I said, yes, let's do it. Let's show the old man. Let's show him up for his crazy order. We spent three days and three nights awake. I was going to Virginia for vitamins to throw down his throat at three and four o'clock in the morning as we walked along the beach trying to stay awake. We had to tell us. I'm just wondering, Hannah, how you gave it to him when you were actually doing the assignment and keeping yourselves up. Just wondering how you gave it to the man. How I gave it to the man? Yeah, because you were like, let's, let's, let's prove oh, Elvin Hubbard wrong. Yeah, you were like, you, but was, you were actually doing it. I was <laughs> part swearing. And then, and then 
<laughs> Mike, you know what I mean? Like she's still yeah, doing totally. it. Guilty for the overt. <laughs> and then swearing again and then being guilty. Oh, uh, oh, it was terrible. You know, you know, when you start hallucinating when you're too tired. We were yes. Hannah, life. this is called torture. Yeah. This and is abuse. Torture. Yeah. But every um, day this was a normal, this wasn't this a normal activity. Weren't. Didn't no, you, didn't you observe people being changed? Like Mike, weren't you chained yeah. to oh, the yeah. engine room? Oh yeah. Valeska, we've had so many Sea Org members oh. say that they, you know, Arthur Hubbard, oh. his own son. Didn't oh. you observe that type Arthur of. It was miserable, miserable. Yeah. He would walk along with PC folders under his arm to a session, his head down, walking along the corridor like this. Whereas Arthur was happy little boy. Uh, Quentin was a happy little boy who would run around the corridors, you know, being a plane with his arms mm. out mm-hmm. and he would be miserable on the ship. This is Quentin, his oldest son who committed suicide. That, right. that, that boy did not have a father. He did not have a mother. He of was course. not nurtured, nothing, right. not at right. all. But there's another example that I want to give you too. On one of the um, Royal Scotman's, I was in Valencia with the Avon River. The Royal Scotman was sailing to Tunisia. And she had taken on 100 new recruits. And the ship was bedlam. And this was the time that Hubbard asked me to quickly join him so I could take over the ship. But it's another story. But because there was bedlam going on board, ethics penalties were introduced that anybody who goofed was put down into the water tanks. They were empty. They weren't Mm. full of water. They Mm -hmm. were unused. And they had to chip and scrape down there for anywhere from 24 to 48 to 72 hours without sleep. Baron Berez patrolled up on top with his baton, and any time he caught someone sleeping, he'd smash that baton down on the steel and shake that person. You know how that steel reverberates? Mm. And the person would come awake. They had their, they had no toilet privileges and their food was lowered to them in buckets. I did not witness this, but my former husband, Guy Eltringham, told me about it because he was one of the ones consigned down there for 72 hours. Wow. But this was an everyday thing, right, Mike? Like, that- I just mean- I mean, yes. the, 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 like, the, I, I don't want to give people the idea like Hannah is like, here's like two instances, but everydayness, the everydayness of being a Sea Org member, and it's happening today still. These are not, well, those were the crazy times of the Sea Org. No, Mike, no. I'm trying to paint a picture of the everydayness of right. the abuse yes. that a and Sea Org member would say. And I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say, Leah, there is. This is ingrained into the very DNA of the Sea Org because Hubbard wrote these issues about toughness and the attitude of a Sea Org member and that, you know, you can be, you can be upbraided for not doing your job, but if you've beaten someone up for not doing his job, that's perfectly okay. As long as it was for him not doing his job, like this sort of attitude of physical and emotional and spiritual abuse of people. Raising your confront. Ethics is almost an award. An ethics condition isn't a punishment. It's almost an award 
because it makes you raise your confront of evil. And you become a tough, tough, tough person, and being able to confront the, the crazy psychs of the world. And yes. and Mike the, and Hannah, this is where the, the policy of over, overboarding uh, came into play, where they would throw you off the ship. It, uh, as as one of the reprimands, that's that's on top of the everydayness of the Sea Org, which is you're working round the clock, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. This is the average life of a Sea Org well, member. Even added to that, Leah, mm-hmm. you know how when when you're in a, a condition of maybe slight fear or increased fear, you get anxious when you're yeah. anxious. You start to get alert. You know, it's that fight or flight mechanism that comes into effect. Sea Org members as a whole were always anxious. Yes. Anxious for the next thing to go wrong. It's from the trauma, of course, and it's it's constantly being piled on top of. Right. But what I was going to say about overboarding was this policy of overboarding, of throwing people off the ship, is how they justify beating people today. Uh, in the Sea Org, as they did with Mike Rinder, as they had Mike Rinder do, Marty right. Rathbun. Right. I mean, this is right. well documented and going clear, as well as court documents, affidavits by right. people who have left. Mike has admitted to the things that he did and what he was taught. Mike has gone to the authority. Every Everyone that we're talking to has gone to the authorities with yes. what they experienced in the Sea Org. And we're talking about starting from like the 60s, 70s uh, to today. Um, now, overboarding has been used now. The, ju- the, the, the way they abuse Sea Org members now and justify it is by this policy of overboarding because they're like, well, we don't have a ship to throw Mike off of, so let's beat the shit out of him. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, Leah, just, yeah. just, just so you know, yeah. oh, the, man. The, the tradition of overboarding remains to this day. When we were in the hole, we were marched down to the lake and right. forced to jump off the little dock in mm-hmm. our full Sea Org uniform into the slimy, muddy lake in the middle of winter. Right. So, it, yes, beatings became uh, a thing, uh, but the the grand traditions of the Sea Organization are cherished and held in high esteem by all Sea Org members. So yes. overboarding remains uh, overboarding. In no, you're C- right. In other Sea Org installations, like organizations like ASHO, AOLA, and so on, where there weren't lakes and, and seas to throw people into, they'd fill the bathtubs up with water <laughs> and dunk people into bathtubs. And I even heard when I was Deputy Commodore in L.A. that a few people had had their heads dunked into toilets because bathtubs weren't available, and I put a stop to that. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, this is such insanity. It's insanity. It, the whole, but it all comes from Hubbard's persona, from his mentality. And, and this is what is running Scientology. This. Right, and I and I want to say that because the Sea Org is is like we talked about. Uh, Scientology is run by the Sea Org. The Sea Org is run by a dead L. Ron Hubbard's policies. Absolutely, and those policies, everything L. Ron, we're talking about is written. These are orders, and like there is no uh, veering off of these policies. So uh, Scientology Sea Org members run it by what does LRH say? I mean, I could t- like there's. 
thousands and thousands of pages of policies. And if you're a Scientologist, you, you always ask like, well, what policy are you applying to me? And they find the book and go, here it is. It's L. Ron Hubbard flag order, blah, 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 or Hubbard communications office policy letter, blah, blah, blah. And here it is in writing. And you can't be like, oh, well, kind, uh, like we don't not supposed to be people. Does he say that, that you need to do that? Yes. So that's what you fucking do. Shut the exactly. fuck up and follow exactly. the policy. And that like I'm talking to the way I would be talked to as a parishioner by a sewer <laughs> member. Right. That is correct. That is correct. Exactly. You, you aren't important. You, enough pressure has to be brought to bear on you to get you to see the truth, which is that one has to follow Hubbard's insanity. Right. And so that is why David Miscavige is running Scientology, if not worse, because I mean, like, I'd probably be better if David Miscavige was taking some fucking uphill here or there. Yeah, it would probably help him out. But, uh, you know, it is going to continue this way if David Miscavige died tomorrow, was put in prison. Uh, they're going to they're gonna take uh, Guillaume Lazerve out of the fucking hole that he's currently in, and they're going to give him a shower, and he's going to follow the same policies as a Seward member uh, that we... that. That Scientology is run on, which they is they will make him the puppet master and put him up there to do the same thing. But 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 it's not even they. It's Guillaume Lazerve believes that the teachings yeah. of L. Ron Hubbard he has been taught like the rest of it. You follow the fucking policy. You don't need to think. That's what they tell you. Don't fucking think. Read the fucking policy and apply the fucking policy. And if that's too many F's, I'm telling you, this is what was told to me at 13. Yes, that's correct. Yep. That's correct. Yes. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Exactly. And, and if you don't up. fucking like it, get the fuck out. And if you're 13 or 30 or 68, you have no other real resources to go to. And remember, the underlying thing is my eternity is at stake. Absolutely. That's the thing. That's the character. And even if you wanted to leave, Hannah... Where would you have gone? You give you gave up your career. You gave up your family. You didn't even have a fucking passport. That's that's another well, thing. Well, Scientology when, controls everything yeah, of your when life. I, when but, I left, I had only yeah. one person to go to, and Scientology found out was I found out I was with him, and they threatened him with an yeah. SP declare, and I split. Right. And I was on my own. Well, fortunately, I was amongst friendly people, um, but I battled. Yes. I had a I had a very 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 tough time for a few years. I know yeah. you did, and you told us your story. And you know, guys, if you want to see see her her story, uh, mm -hmm. we did a special with Hannah. And uh, yeah. um, what what episode, Mike? Do you remember that? What season that was? Or you can no, just but put I'll it up. put it on. Just put it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season okay. Two, I think maybe I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. Well, Hannah, listen, we want to thank you for once again, uh, all the work that you do for continuing to, oh, to want oh. to speak out. And I know you're writing a book and we cannot wait for that to come out. We're going to put this up on our mm -hmm. website, your episode. And then when you have your book, we would love to have you back on. It would be a total pleasure. I would love it. Thank you guys so much. All the best to you. We, we support love you. you forever. Thank you. And same. Whatever you need, you'd let us know. <laughs> same, same, same to you. And um, bless you. And we love you. Thank you, you so love, much, my friend. Love and you, love Annie. to your fans. Love to you too, my friend. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye, dear. Bye, Annie. Thank bye. you so much. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time. Bye, Mikey. Bye.
Bye, Lily. Bye, Bye, Hannah. <laughs>